All right. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> There's a difference um, when when you're reading a Shakespeare play, as you all do all the time, I'm sure, um, there's a difference between a comedy and a tragedy, and it's usually only one thing. It's just the way he wrote them. And the only difference in a comedy and a tragedy for Shakespeare is the ending. That's it. Does it end well? Usually in a marriage or a reunion of some sort, and then a tragedy is when it doesn't end well. Truly, there were versions, hypothetically, as so I've heard, that there were versions of Romeo and Juliet that were, com that were a comedic ending, where it worked out. Here's the ending. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also. On either, oh, I'm having trouble. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God, and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship. May God bless the reading and our preaching of his word. I actually love Advent. For you churchy folk, um, it's, it's like um, when I was going through my grandfather's stuff when he had passed away, he had all these life magazines, and it was of everything from like the JFK um, assassination or the, the, the landing on the moon and reading those again for the first time, you could, you could feel it. And so for you churchy folks, just help yourself to, to reread the headlines as they come through. And for those of you who grew up, um, let's say, grew up with some semblance of churchy stuff and you are now maybe curiously or cautiously taking another look, this is a great time for you too. Advent, Advent is a time to discover um, how much Jesus is like or unlike uh, the Jesus you heard about or grew up with. And for those who are suspicious of Christianity, this is actually the best time for you because this is, this is great. Come with your questions. Interrogate the difference between what you've heard and maybe what the Bible says. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you will, um, the Bible does a better job of showing you Jesus um, than even we Christians have. Chris says that Advent means coming, not just Chris, everybody says that it means coming, um, arrival. And so we spend four weeks, and there's actually a church nerd debate that goes on between whether Advent's supposed to be the first Advent, Jesus' arrival in Bethlehem, or the second Advent, which is his second coming, his arrival uh, to bring a new heaven and new earth. And really, we shouldn't fuss about that. That's probably the last thing we should fuss about. Uh, but we spent the last few weeks in Genesis, and that was the beginning. And then, um, I don't know if you remember this, but I've made, I had a quote from a guy named Andy Crouch, who, by the way, is coming in February, in the, on the 11th, I think. So we should all do that for the Forum on Faith and Culture again this year. So uh, mark your calendars once I give you a real date. Um, but, um, but he says that the, the problem with most of our practical Bibles 
is that we leave out the first two chapters and the last two chapters. We forget about the dignity of creation, of God's goodness to us, the, the, that we bear his image, and then we forget about the resurrection and the life and the new heaven and the new earth. And so what we fundamentally do is we forget about the tree, the tree in Genesis 1 through 3 and the tree that we just read about. So we're going to concentrate on four different images over the next four weeks, a tree, a throne, a city, and a gate that are both in Revelation as a reminder of, of us waiting for him. Okay, but before you, you can kind of get into John's revelation, you've got to know what you're reading. It's called apocalyptic literature, which is very much unlike most literature that we have. And so it's not really like a documentary of John's trip to heaven. It's not really how it works. It's, it's, it's more like a montage or a dreamscape. It's filled with mysterious images, uh, fantastic creatures, and then also all the way through filled with a whole bunch of biblical themes. In fact, Revelation is the, uh, is the, uh, um, quotes the rest of the Bible more than anybody else. It's a really amazing thing. So I want you to get this picture in your head because it's supposed to be in your head and your heart. It's a picture of this crystal-like river fl flowing from a throne, which is, of course, an allusion to God as father, creator, and judge of the world. But that same river flows from a lamb, or the lamb, which is an allusion to Jesus, the great sacrifice, the great sacrificial offering. Okay, and then the crystal river runs down the middle of the street, and I can't quite get where the tree is planted, but the tree expands to either side of that river that is in the middle of the street, all right? And it's bearing fruit, but it's not an ordinary tree because it's bearing 12 different types of fruit. Remember uh, kids especially, and adults too, big kids too, that tree I showed you that's in Syracuse that has 40 different types of fruit from it? And I told you it was not even a horticulturalist, if I just made that up, that is, um, but it's from an artist. So think about God being the artist who's planted this tree, but again, uh, it's the beauty that he's created, but it's more than that because it's actually deeply fruitful. It actually bears fruit every month, not annually, every month. And the leaves of this fruit tree, you've got to love this. The leaves are for the healing of not just a person, but the nations. Kids, you should have a field day drawing this out. Big kids, too. And then God, or John, captions the image by telling us that because of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this tree signifies that there is no longer a curse. And then everyone responds with worship. That's what's going on. And again, this is not so much a prophecy or a prehistory, but an, an image that's a powerful image that's supposed to have your imagination. Many of you know that, um, that images are powerful, but I have an image that was super powerful for Amanda and me this summer. Uh, we were planning and we're thankful to be able to go on a trip to Jamaica, first time either one of us have ever been for our 25th anniversary. And uh, I don't know if you remember a few months ago, but it, um, our sabbatical got postponed originally. And then it got upended because the Italians weren't letting us in, and I was going to spend a month with my family in Italy. Um, and it wasn't just COVID. Amanda's brother was fighting leukemia since February and living with us, and then his son as well, Calvin. 
and then his death, and then there's the trying to reunite he and his, the rest of his family in Georgia, his mother and brother, and then there was what we've all experienced, the ache, the hardship of the summer ourselves. And in mid-August, I was sending my firstborn off to college, 10 hours away. Cool that there's a 40 fruit tree, 40 type of fruit, fruit tree there, but it's still 10 hours away. And I had the pull to come back with all that was going on, to be a part of and lead in some feeble manner our beloved community. But I was in no shape to do this. My own effects with PTSD, the sleepless anxiety, the suffocating depression at times, they were just too much with me. But there was this image. It's actually a photograph on the website <laughs> of a cottage in Jamaica. <laughs> and it was probably touched up in Photoshop, but when we got there, it wasn't too touched up or Photoshopped. It was beautiful. And the lagoon was blue. The sun and the shade were perfectly, you know, together working their thing out. The deck led down to the stairs, led down stairs into the water, straight into the water. And there I would be with Amanda for the sole purpose to rest, rejuvenate, and celebrate. Almost every day in August, Amanda and I would find ourselves on that website scrolling through stuff. <laughs> An image, a place of hope that things would not always be rife with pain, courage that we could make it through, that we could endure, and that we could rest in the abundance of God's grace to us 25 years, you know? Just pain, the, just uh, plain gratitude and adoration towards God. The images that we fixate on, that we hold, on, hold to, change the way we live in the world. That's what Revelation does, and that's what the picture of this tree does. It's not a great vacation that we're looking for, though there are elements to that in the tree. But the image of God's impending coming, the God who made us, who is remaking us and the world until its original intent. So let's talk about the tree. Because I'm me, there are four A's, two couples of A's, two double A batteries that power the rest of the sermon. And the first is this image should have us conjure up abundance and absence. Let's start with abundance tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Remember Genesis. God gave them a garden from which they could eat of all the trees, including this one, but one tree. They were even allowed to eat of the tree of life. After our first mother and father ate of the forbidden tree, God actually protected them by banishing from the garden so they would not continue to eat this from the eternal tree of life in the state that they were in. It's a kindness and a mercy that he would do that, that they would live forever in this way. Because from the very beginning, God has intended to bring us back to this tree of life. It's the center of the garden in Eden. It is... It is it is the thing that uh, the, the tree of eternal life is, is this thing that is actually comes from God's creative hand so that we might live. 
life in him, life with him, and everything he created. And now it's the image of our future. The very tree of life is at the center of the new heaven and the new earth. And now all who come to God by faith have a regained access to this tree, to this tree of life because of the lamb, because Jesus cleansed them and cured them from sin's diseases. But it's not just this abundance, it's the absence of everything out. No longer will there be anything accursed. It's not just the abundance of, of this amazing fruit and this healing leaves, but, but, which is great. There was some form of that in Eden itself, but this actually states that there's, there's no option for it to come falling down again. Amen. Nothing cursed. There's nothing in our world today that doesn't suffer from some sense of the curse on us, in us, around us. <laughs> No pain, no trouble, no threat. Nothing that would destroy or defame the intent of God's recreation. Nothing. Nothing. It is Eden restored and redeemed. This is a garden without the serpent or the thorns or the pain. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Well, what does this say about our God? That God never gave up on his creatures and his creation. In spite of our brokenness and rebellion, we deserve to be given up on, and he did not. And not just us as individuals, which is fantastic, but us as people, as groups of people, that he would multiply this salvation to the world, uh, to the ethnos, to the people groups, and to a new humanity, to unite what has been divided, to welcome what has been shunned, to become a new people, his people, marked and remade by his grace and love and power and redemption. So we have to stare at this tree. We have to we have to let it sink into our hearts, this vision of a tree, to, to stare into the brushstrokes of international healing, to, to look at its frame of mercy, that God would restore us to ourselves, to him, and to our true home. And we need to look at the hues of this abundant life that he's given us, meditate on the lines and tones of eternal peace. And don't turn your eyes from it because you also have to see the absence, right? The, 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 the brush strokes of a world without death or diseases. We're supposed to dream about how it's framed um, without any kind of you know, jealousy or hatred or manipulation or loneliness in it. Hues have no evil in them. The lines and tones don't have COVID or leukemia or mental anguish or any of the triggers the real and the emotional. Let this be an imprint on our imaginations to actually rewrite the narratives of our lives. If it's working right, then we can have the courage to endure this cursed state. And even more, fight against the, the, 
the realities of the fall in our midst into every nook and cranny as far as the curse is found. If this image is doing its job in our lives, it'll help us endure the brokenness of rebellion uh, within ourselves and our neighbors. It will give you hope about the social chaos that we live in, unhinged most of the time. It will give us power to resist the schemes of the deceiver. And to stay loyal to the narrative that is coming through in God's redemption and humility to not always know what's right the next time and to wait in humility when the innocent will be vindicated and the grotesque will be made beautiful all because of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So there's abundance and then there's an absence of evil, an abundance of good but the second double-A battery I have is that this is about abiding in adoration. No longer will there really anything cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That's kind of how our passage ends. See, the, the image of the tree is more than an image. It's what it represents that matters. The tree is a symbol of our life in God, the very fact that we have life, but that we are able to abide in that life because of his mercy. You were made for life eternal. And it was taken from us. And then it was re restored by the one who gives eternal life. We will live with him, unhindered, with all of his servants, and we will worship, we will adore. Y'all, Jesus knows what he's doing when he says, I am the vine tree, you are the branches. He's saying, I am this tree because my father has always made this tree about being connected to him. Our life is completely sustained by his life. And this is where we abide. It's not just an image so that we can hope more, though it does that. The tree of life is not just a motivational tool, though it is that. It's certainly not this image that's supposed to get you to chin up and cheer up because everything's going to be okay. Christianity is not a set of ideas or beliefs about how the universe ends. It has those, but that's not what Christianity is. It is a redeemed relationship with the eternal God who gives eternal life. And the beautiful thing about that, the beautiful reality about Jesus being the, the vine and us the branches, is that that eternal life starts in him even now. And all of it because of another tree scripture calls the cross. Jesus, the one who hung on it to take the curse of our rebellion into his own body. Our sin for his righteousness, his death for our life eternal. See, the cool thing about it is it's like a comedy and not a tragedy. 
you get to know the ending. You get to know the ending. For those who abide, it simply turns into adoration. You don't have to work your way into adoration as you abide in him. It's, a, it's two sides of one coin because we can hide in the safety of his life for us and in there just be so grateful that he has rescued us, us individually and us as his people. And he's recreating the world. This stuff is not about the platitude. It's about the person, the person of Christ. I guess the longer I live, the more important these images are to me. The new heavens and the new earth, the absence of pain, seems like something worth waiting for. Living in this life seems like too much. But it's more than motivation. It's actually living in to the reality that will be. That God's not running us off. He's welcoming, wel welcoming us to live our lives in him. And it helps me when I, like Avila, want to run and seem so hard-hearted, like just silly sin. Creating all sorts of false life-giving trees that are just idols. It reminds me again that you can begin anew, that you can return because it's about abiding in adoration. These are not simply images of a utopian dream. It's certainly not about the power of positive thinking. There's no more realistic religion in the world than Christianity. It just happens to be a comedy. On a lighter note, and in conclusion, Springer came home from the opening season basketball game on Sunday, on Tuesday. I forgot to tell you I was going to say this, so I owe you five bucks. Um, it's ten bucks if it's a bad thing she's done. It's five bucks if it's just a good thing. Anyway, um, you didn't do anything bad. It's all good. Um, so as the boys, you know, varsity basketball team was playing, the girls destroyed the other team. So the second, but that other game was was really tight, and. Um, it ended with a buzzer beater, three-pointer. Awesome. And we had gotten the tweet or the notice, social media notice thingy, um, and it had happened. But Springer comes in, and she's exhausted, right? Because there's a buzzer beater, and, you know, and you're a student, and so you have to rush the court and all the anxiety and energy, and you have to talk a lot of smack to all the other players. You know, it's just a lot of energy. Um, so she walks in, but we hadn't seen it. We just heard about it. So we get out her phone and throw it up on the Apple TV and we start watching the last five minutes. And it's crazy. Energy is still fully there. Springer's getting re-exhausted, you know, all over the place. We know exactly what's gonna happen. But we're fully participating in the life that we're in, knowing exactly what's gonna happen. This is what Revelation does for us. This is what those images do for us. They help us live fully into our lives, knowing that 
because of the love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, God ultimately writes a comedy, and the gospel is a comedy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you transform us by the last two chapters of your scriptures? When we get cynical, and we do get cynical, when we get desperate and don't trust you and want to run from you, remind us again that you are making and remaking not just us, but the world into a place and us into a people that will abide in you, our source of life, and then will so easily just worship you in response to it. We pray in your name. Amen.